Good evening. All right, Andrew, I'll try to work on that in-law thing, all right? Try to be better. All right. Um, it's good to be with you all. Um, if we could open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians. And I'm just going to pray real fast before we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you this evening that as we open your word, we know that your word is the truth. And sometimes our minds kind of forget that, and we uh, forget the truth, and we, we think our way is better. And I pray, Father, that this evening as we read about your truth, uh, that we would remember that this is yours and, uh, and not some man-made idea. We thank you this evening for uh, who you are, what you've done, and what you continue to do in Jesus' name. Amen. So, from day to day, we all need reminders for things. We, we forget things. I mean, I'm a very forgetful person, so it's a blessing and a curse, you know. When uh, someone does something against you and you forget, I forgive them, it's really I forgot, you know. It's not that, you know, I don't hang on to things because my memory, I don't hang on to things very long, so I just, I forgot. So the whole forgive and forget is really easy for me, but at the same time, I don't remember things as well, and so I'm not, definitely not the brightest uh, cookie in the jar, and uh, on our, you know, we have, you know, on our smartphones, we have our daily alarms, and probably for work and school, uh, we have calendars uh, that well, we put, you know, all the different things that we put on there for a weekly reminder, a monthly reminder, you know, I, I need those things to remember everything that's coming up. Um, some people like to make a checklist. I like to do that from time to time. And you check off all the things that you accomplish, and you're like, oh, yeah, it feels good. I checked that off, checked that off. And some of you guys might know what that feels like. You know, oh, that's good. I checked that off. Um, a pilot flying a plane, and they have to go through a checklist, a pre-flight checklist. And they go through, they hit all the switches and buttons that they need to turn on before the flight. And then... Uh, maybe the co-pilot will go through that list on paper and say, did you check this one? Did you check this one? Did you check this one? And they continue to check off. So, I mean, all these checking off things, it, it's a good thing. You know, it's a good feeling. And uh, as uh, a couple days ago, it was Valentine's Day and it was approaching. I was thinking about the message that I was going to give. But then I also was thinking about love. And there was a lot of discussion in my post office from different customers and my coworkers about love, about Valentine's Day, about what they were gonna do, if they had any plans. And there's, there's a lot of discussions like this and that kind of seemed to amplify just in my mind, what is love? You know, what, what do people really think love is? And I'm, I'm getting these answers, you know, from these different people. And as I was contemplating these things I just couldn't help but think of all the, the thoughts and verses and scriptures in, script, in the Bible, in scripture, about what it says about love. You know, in 1 John, it talks about how God is love. And I didn't want to give a cliche message just after Valentine's Day, um, but maybe this is going to be it for you, you know. But hopefully it's not. Um, hopefully this is a, a memento of the characteristics of love uh, that should kind of be a feature of, the, of, of, of a Christian, of a believer. If you've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, 
These are things that should be emanating from you. Um, if we are children of God, if we're ambassadors of Christ, you know, these, and I'm going to go through, and some of you might think, uh, yeah, I know where he's going to, and I am going there. It's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we don't see love defined here. It, there's not a definition for love. When you go to 1 John, like I said, it says, God is love. But again, we don't really get a clear definition. But as you read the whole of Scripture and you read about how Jesus came down to this earth, he lived his life on this earth in humility, and then he died on a cross for our sins. You see love displayed there, and you just, you just can't quite put it all into words, but there's just so much you can say about it. And, you know, this morning, that's what we do. We remember uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for us at the breaking of bread. So, as I was reading 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's really not what I was going to give my message on tonight, but it's kind of what the Lord has placed on my heart. And I, the more you read it, the more, or the more I read it, the more humbled I felt with what the things that are said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I was trying to, as I was making a checklist in my mind of what it says here, I continue to see on a daily basis, if I thought back about just this past week, about how I fall short, and it's, I can check off very few of the things on this list here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. A lot of people will use 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in a message at a wedding. You'll hear that often, you know. And uh, this isn't just, we're not looking at this passage just in context of marriage. We want to look at it in every relationship, in all the relationships that you have in life all the different people that you know, whether it's you have a quick contact with them or a longer one. And maybe this can be a, a mental checklist for you um, of the past week and for future weeks to come of how you fared against God's word here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Our brother Ken Daughters went through the beginning of 1 Corinthians and he gave an intro, he gave a little bit of... Um, just uh, the history, and then he also kind of went in further into 1 Corinthians. So I'm not going to go through all that. We're just going to go ahead and dig into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So starting in verse 1. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing, and I, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind and is not jealous, love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And I want to stop right there. I kind of broke up these verses from 1 through 7 into two sections. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 through 3, I call it action without love. 
and 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 7, actions of love. So we're going to look at action without love. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, verse 1, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Speaking in tongues or speaking in another language that is unknown to the one speaking it is the idea here of speaking in tongues. And when it says speaking in tongues of men and of angels, I don't know if this is speaking of the fact that there's, uh, the angels have their own language. Uh, maybe, probably not. I have no idea. But in Scripture, we see that every time an angel is speaking to someone in Scripture, they're always speaking in the common language where there's understanding and there's a response in the common language, it seems, from the person and the angel understands and there's this communication. So in Scripture, when we look at it, uh, it may be just the fact that angels are understanding the human language and there's that communication. The angel of the Lord appeared to, um, in just in going, looking through Scripture, the angel of the Lord appeared to Hagar, Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Gideon, and there's a list of people here that the angel of the Lord communicates with. And then there's angels speaking, recorded in Isaiah, Daniel, Zechariah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts, Revelation. And, I mean, you just find a lot of places in Scripture where angels speak. And we understand here in Scripture. And so it seems as though angels speak the common language. And maybe they have their own language, but that's not shown in Scripture. Now, the Corinthians, it seems... Put the gift of tongues on a pedestal. This is, you know, speaking in tongues, being able to speak in another language that's not your own was sort of the epitome of godliness, it seems, in the Corinthian church. They were really just put this on a pedestal. This was the gift to have. And the thing is, the Apostle Paul is telling them, it might be nice to speak in tongues. It might be nice to speak in another language. But if you don't do it in love, it's like as if Lauren, as she was playing the piano, and, you know, whenever she plays, it's very beautiful, and someone else is just kind of banging on it, you know, and like banging on one side or the other side. Maybe Ellie's doing it when she's playing it, and it just, she's playing beautiful music, but there's a baby banging on the piano, and so it doesn't sound as beautiful as it should. And I think that's the idea here that the Apostle Paul is making, that when you're speaking in tongues and you don't do it in love, it's, it doesn't sound good. It's not good. And then he goes on to say, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, in verse 2, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am not, nothing. And the, the gift of prophecy, or um, as... If you look at the definition in the original language, a discourse emanating from divine inspiration, declaring the purposes of God, whether by reproving and admonishing the wicked or comforting the afflicted or revealing things hidden by foretelling future events. That's from the Thayer's uh, Bible Dictionary. And it seems to me that the gift of prophecy, this was another thing where, you know, they put it on, a, on, on this is the next level. If you're telling foretelling of the future, if you have that gift of God, then you're spiritually on another level than everyone else. So this is something that they wanted to strive for. And if you go on to the next chapter in verse 14, it lays out the rules of 
There is order. God is a God of order. And when you speak in tongues, it's not just gibberish. And it's funny because I was, I was going to a, a, a Korean Baptist church in high school. And I was going to their Saturday night, Saturday night Bible studies. And during the Bible studies, there would be a time of prayer. And during this time of prayer, uh, there would be a time where it's just everyone prays at the same time. And it's out loud. And this was the first time I experienced someone who said they spoke in tongues. And it literally sounded like gibberish. It was just, and I was just thinking, that, I mean, I, I mean, as language goes, I mean, that doesn't sound like, that can't be an angelic language. I mean, I don't know what that is, but that can't be speaking in tongues. And another time, um, there's a lot, I don't know if you've heard of this, but a lot of Korean churches have what's called morning prayer. And it's, it's, it's a good thing in terms of what it is. You wake up at 4 to 5, 6 a.m., you get to you go to church early every single day, and you pray at church with other believers, but it's all out loud. And this, is, this happens at a lot of Korean churches. And so you hear, you go there early in the morning, and there's prayer, and everyone's, I mean, it's almost like a yelling competition in prayer. You know, some, one prayer, person's praying really loud over here, then someone else is praying even louder over here. It's like a competition, and it's interesting. And then there's people who, uh, in those in, those, in these settings, say they speak in tongues. And you hear it, and you're thinking, I mean, I don't know. I've never heard that language before. You know, I've heard a lot of different languages, but I've never heard that one. And I think, you know, it's, none of that matters if you don't have love. That's what Paul is saying, and he repeats it over and over and over again. And in verse 2, you know, when it talks about know all mysteries and knowledge, a hidden or secret thing, not obvious to understanding, like the parables that Jesus would tell to the, the, apostles, the disciples and the Pharisees and the crowd. He would tell a parable, and the people would think, even his disciples are, are questioning it and wondering, what does that even mean? What is Jesus even saying? I don't understand. And the, the thing is, you might understand these things. You might know all the mysteries. You might know have all knowledge. And one of the things that our brother Ken brought up when he was going through the first part of 1 Corinthians is you look at it and it says how these guys knew stuff. They were knowledgeable. It talks about if you go back in 1 Corinthians and you look at the introduction of 1 Corinthians, it talks about how that Paul praises them for their, their knowledge, for the things that they know, and that there's, he's saying, you guys aren't missing any spiritual gifts. It's amazing. You guys look good on paper. But he gets to chapter 13, and it's almost like he's telling them, it's nice to have all these things, but you guys aren't doing these things out of love. It means nothing. It's, it's funny because growing up in an assembly, you think you know it all when it comes to Scripture. You know, you heard all the Bible stories growing up, and then you get all the questions. You know, I loved questions about Bible stories when I was younger. I could answer all of the questions. Oldest guy, Methuselah, whatever it was. Uh, what animal is not named in the Bible? A cat, I don't know, whatever it is. You know, I, I knew all the facts of the Bible. That didn't mean anything. Because I, didn't, I wasn't living it out. It hadn't 
hit my heart, and I wasn't actually doing what the Bible said. And even if I did it, I wasn't doing it out of love. So it didn't count at all. It was, as Corinthians would say, wood, hay, and stubble. I think about that, and it, it goes on to say in, uh, about if I have all faith so as to remove mountains. And I was thinking about that. Have faith to remove mountains. What does that even mean in context? And it, it, it seems to point to, to service and how whether it's you're helping at Boys, Boys Brigade or TNT or Awana or Snow or whatever ministry. Uh, I mean, these, these are some of the things that we have going on at this assembly. And you, you go, I come to Awana sometimes, and this is my pride, thinking, all right, I'm going to drop some knowledge on these kids as we help them memorize these Bible verses. We're going to help them understand it. We're going to help them understand the gospel. They're going to hear it, and hopefully they, they get saved through what I have to explain. That's, that's a backwards attitude. I'm not coming to serve the Lord for my, for my fame, for my glory, for, for, for myself. I'm coming for the Lord. That's how I should come. And sometimes you come out of habit. Sometimes you come out of, I have to be here because there's nobody else. And that's not the right attitude. And uh, Corinthians chapter 1, like I said, describes that the Corinthians church, they had it all. They had the gifts. They had the knowledge. They had it all, but they weren't doing things out of love, as we, as we see here in 1 Corinthians 13. And it in verse 3, it says, And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor. You know, there's, it's hard, you know, here in California. You want to help the poor out. You want to give money to them. You want to give food to them. There's a transient lady who sits outside our, my post office in East Pasadena every single day. She's there every day. She uses our outlet to charge her smartphone, which is strange for a transient to have a smartphone, and she's always sitting there with her smartphone. I don't know what she's watching or listening to, but she's there with her smartphone every single day. And there are people who come in, and they talk to me and one of my customers, or multiple customers, and they'll tell me as we're processing or I'm processing their package or whatever it is, they'll tell me, oh, you know what, I don't have any change or I don't have any cash because I gave it to that transient lady over there. So, you know, um, and it's almost like they're kind of praising themselves, you know. They're kind of, yeah, you know, I feel good because I did this deed. And they come and tell me about it. And they kind of say it a little bit louder maybe so that the other customers would hear about how they had given to this transient lady outside. And then the funny thing is, I see her get into a BMW in the afternoon, and then there she goes. And this happens almost every day. And so I'm thinking, this is a, you know, it's strange, you know, seeing that, but that's what happens. And then I'm also thinking, if you're a believer and you just told me that, you kind of, you lost your reward in heaven because you just kind of praising yourself and being boastful. And that's just kind of, uh, my judgmental side and the shame on me for being judgmental but that's you know that's how I think and and then the next it says if I surrender my body to be burned if you become a martyr but are doing it for attention or fame rather than in love it is worthless and it's just kind of emphasizing the point that whatever you're doing whatever's happening to you if you're not doing it in love 
It's meaningless. Dave Vernon McGee uses an analogy of if you tally up all the items, each item being zero, whether it's foretelling being zero, whether it's para understanding parables being zero, faith being zero, giving to the poor, zero, become a martyr, zero. You add all the, or you multiply all these things up, zero times zero times zero times zero is still zero, means nothing. And the idea is that if you're doing things out without love, it means nothing. But you, if you add love, which is like adding one in front of the zero, you get a, a nice number, right? And that's, uh, I don't know, to me, that analogy made sense in my head. And so I'm just giving it to you. Maybe some of you will take it on. But it's just, the idea is that if you don't, if you're not acting in love, what you're doing, again, is meaningless. It's worthless. Now we're going to, going to move on to actions of love. So this is where we, these are the things that we want to do. We just looked at the things that we shouldn't do or shouldn't be acting like. This is the things that we want to do. It says in verse 4, Love is patient, or in the King James, Charity suffereth long. To be patient or in bearing offenses and injuries of others, it's the idea to be mild and slow to avenging yourself, slow to punish. I have to say, one of the things that I see in the post office that is surprising to me is that people are actually patient. There's always a long line. There's always people waiting in line. And yet, everyone just seems to be mild-mannered. And for the most part, they come up to me and they say, oh, you know, this is a nice office. And the, line, the wait wasn't that long. And for the most part, you know, people are very patient, which is surprising. And there's always, but in the last year, about, there's only been one time, there's one person who started riling up all the customers. And it's, it, I mean, it, it started just getting ugly in terms of the things that they were saying and just, oh, this customer just, I can't, would talk to one customer and say, oh, I can't believe that this, this is taking so long. And then another customer, like, what are, what are they doing? They're just, they're lollygagging or whatever it is. And then all of a sudden, the whole line is, is upset and they're impatient. Well, that's not how we want to become like. We want to be patient. We want to be long-suffering. This is the idea here that uh, the First Corinthians 13 is painting. Love is kind. To, and the idea here in the original is to show oneself to be mild. And I know this is going to make her blush, but to be honest, the first person that popped into my mind is my mother-in-law, Lauren McKay, when I thought of uh, to someone who was very mild. I mean, I, I, mean, I, don't, I can't think of many more mild, milder people than her, and I think many people in this chapel would agree. And the idea is to be kind to someone. And it's, it's very simple. It might be just smile at someone. It might be just, you know, you say hello to someone. It's the simplest things can go a long way to show someone that you're kind to them. And, and people can take the smallest things and just really stretch it and really enjoy it. You just don't know. The next thing it says is, and this is something, uh, a don't, is love is not jealous, is not, does not envy. Oftentimes when I hear someone else being praised and I'm doing the same job, 
you hear someone else being complimented when you're doing the same job, you think, what about me? You know, I'm, I'm doing the same thing out here. I'm, I'm doing just as good. Actually, you know what? That guy's kind of lazy. I'm actually doing a better job and they're getting the compliment. That doesn't make sense. And the idea here is that's not how you're supposed to act if you're acting in love. And I was driving with Robert this past week, and we saw a blue Chevy Chevelle SS, probably 1969 because a lot of the nice cars came out of that era. And, you know, the first thing I thought was, man, I am jealous. I want that car. That is so nice. I heard the sound of it first. And it's just a, a deep, like, muscle car motor. And you just hear it rooming, and it's coming up. And then you see it pull up, and you're just like, wow, that's a nice car. It has that, it's blue, has a, two white stripes down the, the middle, and you're just thinking, man, that is nice. Or at least I was thinking. And then I, I, in my head, I was thinking, man, am I, am I going through an early midlife crisis? <laughs> and then I, I told, said it out loud to Robert, and we just kind of uh, laughed about it. But it's like, man. Uh, anyways, I mean, that's exactly the opposite reaction that we're to have as believers. We're not to envy. We're not to be jealous. The next thing is, love does not brag and is not arrogant. That's easy, right? You don't, it's easy not to brag. It's easy not to boast, right? No, it's, it's so hard. Everyone does it, you know? And, you know, aesthetically now, I'm not as, as, as all that great anymore. But when I was in high school, I, I, I tried to play every single sport. <clears throat> I love sports. I love competition. I love bragging about the things I did in competition. I loved winning. And you know, you talk about if you're playing basketball, how bad you broke someone's ankles. You know, that we talked about it all the time on our basketball team. Or in soccer, how nice of a goal I scored. You know, we, we talk about these things. Winning a tennis match, you know, you just, we won three matches in a row. We were in the newspaper. It feels good. And you, you tell everybody, like, oh, man, I, I'm just so, I mean, you're, you're saying it in your mind. I'm so good. But to them, you're just saying, you know, this is what I did. This is kind of the, the mindset that we have to brag, to boast. And especially in this social media age that we live in now, you know, there's so many people. It's all about how good you look, how nice the things that you have are, how nice your lifestyle is, whatever it is. They put it all on social media. And I'm um, like, you know, I, I think the same thing. I want to I wanna look good in front of people. So you want to, <laughs> I do the same thing. I'm guilty of the same thing. Verse 5 says, does not act unbecomingly. This is a hard one because growing up, I mean, I, we, we do it all the time. We tell jokes at the expense of others. We make fun of people, and we make them feel bad. And sometimes it's, it's usually people or sometimes people that we're not very friendly with. We don't care too much about. We don't care that we hurt their feelings. And so I'm just going to say this joke, and hopefully it just, it just gets them, you know. It just, you know, it pricks them, you know. And... You know, that's, that's what we're not supposed to do. Love would not do that. And you think of all these, what's being said here in 1 Corinthians 13, and these are all problems that they had in the Corinthian church. 
that they were not acting lovingly towards one another, even within the church. And could you imagine if unbelievers came into your church, people who had, they had no idea who you were, what your background is, what you're like, but they come in, they see the way you're acting, whether it's gossip, whether it's uh, whatever it is, slander, whatever, just a lack of love being shown to the brothers and sisters. And Paul is telling them, as a child of God, that cannot be so. That cannot be so. The next thing is, does not seek its own in verse 5 does not seek its own. When I got married, that's one of the times where I, I realized how selfish, selfish, selfish of an individual I am. I always kind of knew it, but I feel like marriage kind of revealed it in me even more, where it was just, man, I am selfish. I want my way. I want it to be done my way. I want things to happen my way. I want what I want. And that's just, I mean, that's the human nature. We want it all. We want what's good for me, me, me. And then it's, it, and the idea is that it's always about me getting ahead, right? It's about me getting ahead of the other people around me and not being helpful, not kind of trying to boost other people around me, but it's about how can I get ahead? That's the idea in the original language. The next is, is not provoked. Well, I mean, how easy is it not to be provoked? I mean, this, it's, it's so hard because, I mean, certain days when you're in a bad mood, every little thing provokes you. Every little thing just ticks you off. It just makes you angry. And I remember playing sports, and usually, this is, how I, this is my mindset when I play sports, whether it's basketball or soccer, how aggressive you play against me is how aggressive I'm going to be, or even more so. So if you're boxing out and you're really aggressive in basketball and you're trying to get a rebound, I'm gonna be even more aggressive, I'm gonna get lower, I'm gonna push you back harder, I'm gonna elbow you, whatever it takes get to get the rebound. That's, I mean, my mindset in terms of playing sports. And it's so easy when people are talking trash, when people say things against you, to respond and say, Anything that's not right. <laughs> you know, there's things that just come out of you, your sin nature, and you're just, you're trying not to, but it happens. And in sports, when people are talking trash, you take it to a certain point, and then, okay, I can't take it anymore. I'm gonna, I, I need to respond, I need to defend myself, I need to say what I need to say back to them. And it's so easy to be provoked. But love is not provoked. The next thing is, Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. When a wrong or a crime is committed against me, you forgive them right away. You don't dwell on it. It's so easy to stew on and get bitter about something that you've suffered wrongly. If someone accuses you of something, doing something that you didn't do, and how easy is it to just defend yourself here? It's just you don't take that into account. You look it over. How often do we bank those wrongs suffered so that uh, the things that people say against us or the things that people do against us, we bank them away? I remember 
You know, I, I fought a lot with my brother. You know, I don't know, probably many of you who have siblings, you remember those fights. And in those fights, you remember the past. You remember the things that were done. You, you chalk it away, you bank it away, so that when you get into that fight, all right, I'm ready to go. I'm going to fire off this, that, this, that. You did this, you did that, right? You, you bank it away for that rainy day of fighting, right? That's not what we're supposed to do as believers. Love would not do that. Verse 6, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. We should not agree with and praise the wrong or the sin that the, or praise the, what the world decides when something is sin that is actually okay or should be celebrated. What God says and his ways are what we should look to and rejoice in. His word. There's so much in his word that we should rejoice in. There's so much in his word that we should look to. Verse 7, love bears all things. It's like you, you endure just all the bad. I mean, you read the, these verses, and it's almost like they're repeating them, themselves in different wording. Love bears all things in verse 7, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. When it says believes all things, William MacDonald puts it in a way where I, I liked it. It said, trying to put the best possible construction on actions and events. So when someone does something, you want to wish them the best. You want, you're hoping that whatever it is that they're doing, that you're, they're doing it the best that they can. And then when, they, when you hope, love hopes all things, you're hoping that the situation truly works out for the best for that individual or for that group. It's hard, it's hard to think that way, you know? You want the best for that person, but you're always thinking about yourself and how can I get ahead? So then really, you don't want them, you don't want the best for them. You don't want them to get a raise. You don't want them to get further in their whatever it is. And this past Friday on, on Valentine's Day, Rachel and I, we've kind of, uh, we have a tradition now where we don't actually celebrate Valentine's Day on the day of because everywhere it's just so busy. All the restaurants are busy. Everything is just, it's hectic and crazy. So we'll just, we're going to do something on another day, which is tomorrow, uh, which we both have off. And so we decided we're going to go to the gym and we're going to go get dinner afterwards at a not fancy place so that there won't be a crowd. Well, as we're exiting our driveway, and many of you know what our driveway looks like, and there's a, it's very steep when you get to the front of our driveway. And we get to the, as we're getting to the front, there's a car, and it's, I mean, there's all the whole block, there's a ton of cars parked. There's a car that's the whole, the back end of it is in our, basically in our driveway. And, you know, where we look at each other and we're just saying, oh, this, you know, this, and this blank, all right? I'm not even going to say it, you know, a word that I would probably think. This blank, like, what are they doing? Like, they're parked in, basically, in our driveway. And we basically have to go as slow as possible to get around this car, to get out of our driveway. And honestly, the, the sin nature in me is thinking, one, I mean, 
if we hit that car, they had it coming to them. You know, that's, that's us in nature, right? They had it coming. The next thing is, how can I get back at them? Or what, like, should I leave a nasty note that, like, uh, just really, you know, just, ah, uh, you know? Or what should I, or what can I do to let them know? But I'm thinking at the same time, if I leave a nasty note, it's my driveway. They're going to see the house, and they're going to know it's our house. Who knows who's, what kind of person's driving that car, so I shouldn't do that. So then, I'm all, and then the next thing I'm thinking is maybe I should just, and I tell Rachel this, maybe I should, we should lift the windshield wiper so that it's kind of like a prank, but then maybe they get a message like, don't, don't, mess, like, don't mess with our drive. I don't know. You know and there's just all these thoughts that go in through your head, and it's like, you know, and you go through the list of all these things that we're reading right here, and I'm basically doing the opposite of everything, you know? Um, I'm not showing love. I'm seeking my own. I'm acting unbecomingly. I'm not kind. I'm not patient. I was provoked. I definitely was taking a, account wrong, uh, into account this wrong suffered. I was re- sort of, you know, in my mind I'm thinking, I could give Rachel a high five right now or fist bump after I lift those windshield wipers or leave a nasty <laughs> note. Like, and so there it is. I'm rejoicing in unrighteousness. I didn't bear all things. I wasn't enduring all things. Suffice it to say, I'm, I'm doing the exact opposite of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And what an offense that is to a holy and righteous God that I would think, even think that way. That's not a response that a child of God should have. And yet, here I am thinking those things. No love. In, in those kind of actions. I just wanted to read a story from one of my favorite biographies. If you don't have it, I would highly recommend it. It's Robert Chapman, Apostle of Love, and it's a biography, biography by Robert L. Peterson. And in this book, there's a story of Robert Chapman, and this guy is probably one of the humble, most humble guys that you just read about. It's just amazing. But um, it... There's a story in it, and I'm just going to read it for you. It goes like this. So Chapman, is, it's, it's, he's an individual who's very witty, who's very loving. He's a, a great, a good brother in Christ. And he says, it says in here, of course not everyone liked Chapman. Some people were greatly offended by his plain preaching on sin and the need for repentance. A touching story is told of his love and concern for one of those critics, a grocer in Barnstaple, became so upset with Chapman, he was so upset when Chapman was preaching in the open air that he strode up to where Chapman was standing and spit on him. Later, one of Robert's wealthy relatives came to Barnstaple to visit him and to try to understand his activities. Arriving by horse-drawn cab at the address given to him, the relative at first would not believe that Chapman lived in such a simple abode in such a poor neighborhood. Chapman ushered him in into the clean but simple interior and explained what living in dependence on the Lord meant and how the Lord had provided for all his needs. One of the things you read early on in his bi- biography is that Robert Chapman could have been a very wealthy, he was pretty wealthy and he could have continued to be a very wealthy man. The relative asked if he could purchase groceries for him. Chapman gladly assented, but stipulated that he must buy food from a certain grocer. The relative went there, 
made a large purchase and paid the bill. When the grocer learned that the food was to be delivered to R.C. Chapman, he said that the visitor must have come to the wrong shop. Chapman's relative, however, replied that Chapman himself had specifically directed him to that shop. The grocer who had viciously attacked and castigated Chapman for years broke down in tears. Soon he came to Chapman's house, asked forgiveness, and yielded his life to Christ. What a testimony of this man, that he would show love to a man who spit on him, who, who I mean, that basically showed he hated him. And yet, through his actions, Robert Chapman would win this man over to Christ. Hopefully, that would be us, that we would be not lacking in love, not demonstrating some of these things that the Corinthian church here in 1 Corinthians 13 were demonstrating, but we would show love and kindness and patience. We would be long-suffering, that we would show forth the character of Christ and that people would trust Christ on account of our display of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this evening that as we read in your word of how the Apostle Paul would encourage, exhort the believers of the Corinthian church to show love and tell them what isn't love. And we pray that as we've read these things in your word, this is your word. Again, not our words. These are not made-up words. And we want to please you as your children. So we ask that you would give us the wisdom, the guidance, the strength, and the ability to live out these words in 1 Corinthians 13. In Jesus' name, amen.